This podcast is brought to you by Fabric, a training academy that empowers the most ambitious marketers to thrive. You're already a marketer or you want to get into marketing. You have ambition like no other and are driven to be the best at what you do. So how can you make sure you make a big impact wherever you go? Well, we're here to share over 20 years of experience and industry insights in just 12 weeks. By the end of our programme, you'll know how to build a marketing strategy that delivers big-time business impact, show how valuable you are through effective reporting, and help your organisation smash targets and reach its goals. Get ready to be the change that propels organisations forward. Nail your next interview, review or board meeting and make yourself the marketer that every business wants. To find out more, visit fabric-academy.com. Welcome to Gymwag, a podcast series hosted by me, Lisa Eaton. Over at GT, I'll be interviewing some of the region's most respected business leaders, CEOs, and CMOs to hear all about their journey and their experiences. So take a seat, pour a drink, and join us for an inspiring half hour of like minded chat. episode of Ginwag, I interview Steve Rawlingson, founder and CEO of Samuel Knight International. Steve's career spans over 20 years working within the global energy and rail recruitment sectors, with 10 of these years spent working in a corporate environment. Steve's career started at ATA Selection as a trainee consultant, and in just seven years, he was reporting directly to the group's CEO. He established Samuel Knight International in 2014 identifying a gap in the market for premium manpower consultancy services in the energy and rail industries. Enjoying phenomenal growth since its inception, Samuel Knight is fast becoming one of the global leaders in energy and rail manpower solutions. You will love this episode. There is nothing that Steve can't do, and you will see that through his entrepreneurial journey. Enjoy, and I hope you get some good takeaways. So, Steve, a huge welcome to Ginwag. So excited to hear what's been happening with you over the last year or so. We've not really had a chance to catch up properly with everything that's been going on, but I know things tend to move pretty quickly in your world, so I'm imagining that there's been lots happening. But before we get stuck into that, um, let's start with you, the family, the business, in the broader sense. How have you opened with um, lockdown lifestyle changes, both personally and professionally? lockdown for me has been about um, self-development. I'm not one of these individuals that's been trying to read a book every day or out like that, but um, I've just been, in the first lockdown, I was just focused on um, fitness, health, really like looking at what I'm putting in my body to get out of my body. Um, took up hiking and rock climbing and and just really, if I'm, if I'm honest, I created, I, I do well with creating structure and discipline in my life. So my structure before lockdown was get up, go work, sit at my desk, pretty much stay there all the time and and obviously doing my job and meetings and whatnot. Whereas the structure that I had in COVID, um, the first lockdown was waking up, going for a run, coming back, doing training, eating healthy, spending time with the guys, catching up, just using my time a bit more smarter. Um, and, 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 and what's really interesting is I've taken that from the first lockdown and and it's actually changed my life for the better now where I have more me time as well. 
So because I've implemented this structure and I, and I don't need to be at work for, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, now what I can do is I can sit there and I can say, right, I'm working smarter. I know where I need to put my time. And then the rest of the time I can I can use it for, uh, for, for self-development and looking at my life. So I'm probably one of few people, maybe yourself as well, who's actually looked at the first lockdown and went, I didn't mind it. You know, got to spend time with my daughter, got to spend time with my son, spend time with my dog and um, and just really like bonded as a family, came together again and just focused on us as a family and, you know, looking at things and appreciating the smaller things in life, like going for a walk or sitting and having food with your family and that. So I didn't, I didn't mind it, me. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was there with you as well. And who would have thought actually, given a year previous when you're kind of running around like a nutcase half the time, you know, nonstop and can't make even for a sandwich sometimes through the day that you would actually move into that and go in phase of a, a slower pace of life. But yeah, totally with you there. Forced upon is. And um, it was probably, again, as I said before, you know, people can throw, you can, I, I'm one of them individuals where you can sit and have so many negative things happening and I'll always try and find one positive. And the positive for me from um, from from this whole situation has been being able to, um look at your your life i guess and and manage your time smarter and this the steve that you knew a year and a half ago two years ago running around like a headless chicken thinking i had to have all these different hats on and doing everything and lack of delegation and everything it's just not the case anymore my my daughter thinks i've quit work she thinks i've retired she's like dad i've never i've never seen i've never seen you as much and i'm like it's good it's great you know it's fine it's absolutely fantastic i, I love it me it just proves it can work on it. You can make absolutely make time for both, for sure. Absolutely. So this year's thrown some pretty huge challenges at, a, at us as business leaders. There's definitely no doubt about that. What type of leader are you, Stephen? Have the challenges of this year changed you as a leader at all? Yes, they have. Um, I am definitely, I was more of a manager before lockdown, before um, the challenges that we've seen throughout 2020. I was sitting, I was, sitting at the back, trying to look thing, look at things from a different perspective. And because I created this leadership team, I um I I automatically moved to the back and I was I was looking at things from an overview point of view. But as as the challenges have, have got harder, um I'm definitely more of a um like a frontline leader now. But as I said before, I'm I'm more of a, I'm definitely a compassionate leader um lead, um leader and and I know how to um, like get the best out of my guys, and and doing that leadership role at the front, even as a, a CEO of Samuel Nine, what it's allowed me to do is really kind of bring the team back together, and and for me to get my job satisfaction from working closely with my clients again. Um, so yeah, it's definitely changed me, but it's it's changed me for the better, not for uh, not for the worse. I've um, you know, I've, like I said, I've. I've enjoyed, I've quite enjoyed moving back into a uh, frontline leadership role. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And I guess in times of crisis, you know, who who is your biggest support? You know, those moments you have where you've got your head in your hands and you're thinking, remind me why I chose to do this again. Who is it that you go to? Is that your family? Is it your, your senior team? Is it your mates down the pub? Um, I would definitely say my old man. Um, he, um, he's, he's an element of support to me. Um, he's a good listener as well. He doesn't really talk too much, so he's per- he's perfect for me because, like, I can just literally talk, 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 talk to him, 
and he'll just sit and listen and he doesn't say much but the things that he does say um are value and uh are respecting and i would also say um my cfo and my finance director there um we're we're the three of us don't there's there's five of us now we were main shareholders um but the the three of us are any challenge that's come throughout 2020 we've been there to support each other and there's been some really really tough challenges this year we've grown from them and we've learned from them um but lisa whitwell and carl moffey and, and myself they've definitely been the the literally the foundations and the backbone of, of samuel knight for me they're um yeah i'd be lost without them if i'm honest lost without them and it's, I guess it's these times, you know, it's great to have the good times together, but it's the really tough times, isn't it, that make you know that the people that you've chosen are the right people. Absolutely. I, I always say to, well, I said to the guys from day one, um, when you could start seeing the challenges throughout 2020 were going to be something that we'd never experienced before. Leadership, your leadership skills are only tested in tough situations because when it's easy, we all do it as leaders. When it's easy, what tends to happen is you just coast as a leader because you think that everything's fine. So, you know, you can sit there and you'd be like, well, your biggest challenge is maybe, oh, you know, I need to find 30 guys for this project or I need to recapitalize my business, I need to look at refinancing. I want to raise more money. I want to exit an investor. I'm looking at potential growth in new um, new countries. When when shit hits the fan, as you've just said there, you want to know that you've got the right leadership team with you and you are the right leadership team. And I remember doing that scale up with um, Ian and uh, that dude, uh, Pat, I can't remember his surname, said, if you are all rowing in the same direction at any time, then you can dominate any market sector. And I always think about that. Um, and um, yeah, your leadership skills are, are only tested in tough situations and you can't really get any tougher than 2020 and um you know we've 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 all been there for each other you know there's some of the guys have had a wobble i mean you know even like i say i've enjoyed it i've enjoyed the challenge i love a challenge i don't think life should be i don't think business should be easy because if it's easy then any everybody would try and set up a company so i don't think it should be easy i think you need to be tested um and um but there's been times when even I've had a wobble and I've sat down and thought, oh, God, this is so tough. Like, it's just really, really, really hard. But, you know, you pick each other up in that. And like you just said there, it's important that you've got the right team around you to be able to get through these challenges. Um, so, yeah, I agree. And I guess given that there were some really tough restrictions enforced back at the beginning of the year, um, as we had to move our teams and our businesses to remote working with very little notice, how have you guys reorganized as a business? Are there any changes that you've introduced due to COVID that have been a huge benefit to the business itself? I always had this vision of creating an agile working environment. As you know, we spoke about this. That was the reason that we got the office that we got, because we wanted to kind of create this environment where you, you, um, your KPIs weren't measured on time in the business. It was measured on outputs in the business. Because I'm a great believer in my world, and probably the same in yours. Now, I can be sitting in Costa Rica and still do my job. I can be sitting in, you know, Australia and enjoying some family time in in the sunshine or in Mallorca or wherever, and um, I can still do my job. I don't have 
and be in the office. So one of the things that we've definitely done is we're more we're more open to the agile working environment now. So that's definitely been of benefit. Um, we had to cut some of the workforce down, as I'm sure most biz- businesses did, just to make sure that you know we survived. And what it allowed us to do was stream the business right back to look at the core people who we've got that we can really push forward with. Um, so we did that. You know, we've, and we've, we've made some wrong hires. We've made some fantastic hires, but like all business leaders, we've made some wrong hires as well. But you just kind of let them, like, you never really action anything until you've got to action something. So that was a benefit to us, is looking at the team and saying, right, we've got the right team for 2021, 2022, 2023. Um, so the Agile Working team, um, and I think just the support network that we've got around is, um, you don't really know who you've got around you until you actually need them, if you know what I mean. We've had, uh, like, it was really inspiring. We did the same, I did the same thing. It was really inspiring to see people like PwC and KPMG and Deloitte all reaching out to his muckles as well, who, um, who are our legal team and, UNW were our corporate finance team. It was really inspiring to see them just reach out and say, look, if there's uh, even Square One, I mean, there's, there's Square One reaching out to us and we don't even work with them. Um, just saying, look, you know, you're a Northeast business. If there's anything we can do to support you, we will. Um, sending us documents through about changes, where we're at and how to motivate, not, not just like the small, medium crap like how to motivate your team when working from home but just some really really good content that was pushed through is um and you never really know who you've got to support you and around as a support network until you actually need them so that was also a benefit to us using this network using this network better and then obviously we've implemented all the um the covid policies of you know social distancing in the office and things like that. i don't think that was a benefit because my guys are very touchy feely they have a lot of lot of love for each other so that's probably not, not a benefit but um yeah there's been a few other things that we've done that have you know we've strengthened as processes we've become more process driven in terms of using the systems that we've got um better I think the guys probably work smarter now than um, than what they did the last time. Again, you kind of when when things are going really really well, um, and I'm not saying that this is the case for for all businesses or for all staff members in Samuel. But when things are going really really well, what tends to happen is you just you coast, you take it for granted, you just think everything's great, everything's fine, and you just sail through, you know, you've got no waves coming at you. And then all of a sudden waves come at you and shit hits the fan with lockdown and COVID and not being able to mobilise people. But you adapt to that. And you, even though I'm pretty sure if I asked all of my staff if they've enjoyed 2020, they'd probably say no. Deep down, if they actually analysed it and thought about how much stronger they are of, as individuals than where they were this time last year, they would. I would probably get a different answer because they all work smarter and differently now. So that's also been a benefit to us. 
yeah de definitely and I, I think my team would have exactly the same answer actually their first reaction would probably be no but the, the second more thoughtful answer I think would be that they've all developed they've all grown I mean the resilience in the team uh, you know has been phenomenal but also just how everybody will get stuck in and really support each other to another level which has been been great so interesting really yeah. interesting yeah I agree so thinking about your earlier years here, we're going to take you back just a little bit to the beginning of your journey. So you left school at 15. I got asked to leave, yeah. <laughs> you got kicked out of school at 15. <laughs> I did get kicked out of school at 15. <laughs> and you set out to create a better life for yourself and you were working three jobs as a teenager and had all sorts of ventures to go. Who or what motivated you to do this? Where's the work ethic come from and the entrepreneurial spirit? I had this fascination with, um, I'm sure my dad would probably say the same thing. I had this fascination with money from a really early age. Um, I think it was maybe just because it was shiny and I didn't have any of it, you know. My mum and dad, we, we grew up in a two up, two down. and um, But my mum and dad always did right by us, you know. They weren't, they, weren't, they weren't bad parents. They were just like typical 1980s parents that didn't really have much and I had this fascination with money whenever they bought me toys give it two weeks and I'd be outside selling them on the streets to me friends I'm literally not joking I got one of them old pasting tables when I was about I think it was about eight and I put all my toys on this pasting table and we lived in this really nice suburban -y kind of area and um, I, all my toys were set out and I, this girl came over with all of her pocket money and I was selling all my toys and I got in shit for it because what happened is a mum came knocking on the door and said, um, her name was Clarissa. Clarissa's bought all of these bloody toys off your Stephen. And my mum get, gave her her pocket money back and Clarissa still gets to keep me toys. And uh, I always used to like be like, like looking around the house, trying to find the odd coin here and stashing it under my bed and that. And then, so I, it was the fascination of money. Maybe, I don't know where that came from, if I'm honest. Um, and then when I was about 10, I got my first job doing a paper round. 10 or 11, I got my first job doing paper rounds. And then I got two paper rounds. Um, and then I started working on market stalls because I preferred that more than going on school. Um, the work ethic probably comes from the fear of not having anything in my like not having a good life. Like, And I don't mean good life as in possessions, but it gives you choices. Um, and I, because I didn't do very well at school, well, I didn't do school, I didn't go school, because I didn't go school, I always had to work, when I first got into my career, I always had to work harder than the man next to me because I didn't have anything to fall back on. So that it was probably, if I'm honest, it's probably me looking at where I want to be in 10 years and then when I reach that point where I want to be in another 10 years and then when I reach that point where I want to be in another 10 years, um, my granddad was quite a motivating guy. He wasn't rich or successful or anything. He was a good family man. He had a good heart. He was well-loved, well-liked, well-respected, but he just always grafted. Like, I remember watching him. He lived four doors down from me, and um, I just always remember watching him um, pedal for, you know, 15 miles. He didn't drive, but um, I used to just see him pedaling um, to work, go and work in a pot bank for, you know, 13 hours a day and then come back um, and still have time for his family. So 
he was a hard worker for very little. Um, and then if I'm honest, I just I just knew. And I don't want to sound like one of these cliche things, but I just knew that I was I was always gonna try and strive for do better, be better, and 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 I, I wanted to be successful. I mean, I'm sure if you ask my family, they'd probably turn around and say, from about the age of twelve or thirteen, Steve used to say he's gonna have his own company and he'll be doing this and he'll be doing that. And from the age of twelve, I was like, I'll be a millionaire before I'm thirty years old, and I'll be this and I'll be that. And like my dad just thinks it's amazing. Maybe it's just because I wanted it, and I really pushed myself to try and be successful. But I don't even think I'm I'm fifty percent of where I want to be in ten years' time. You know? Did you always know where you wanted to be? No, I, I didn't actually. I want to be in the army. I want to go in the army, but my dad wouldn't let me go in. And I, I knew I didn't want to like work on markets forever. And then I knew I had to leave where I was growing up because my friends were no hopers, you know, they're not living nice lives. So I knew I didn't want to, I didn't want that for myself. And um, I didn't know what I wanted to be. You know, I, I got lucky, set up a modeling agency off the back of like, just lucky for money, being in the right place at the right time and being a bit of a chancer in Stoke. And, um, and then I ended up selling some of the contracts to uh, to two pretty successful big modeling agencies down in um, in London, and um, and then I got a bit of money behind me, and I, not not life changing, like you know, just it was all right. It, it was like a year's salary, but as a seventeen year old, that's enough money. And I thought, right, I'm pissing off Ibiza. I'm uh, become a superstar DJ in Ibiza, and uh, so I moved to Ibiza, and. Um, I didn't become a superstar DJ. It didn't happen. Um, I just fell into sales in living abroad, and then um, and then that was it. But even if I'm honest, even when I got to 22, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I knew at that point I wanted to be in sales, and I knew I was going to be successful. I just didn't know like what I was going to do in sales, and then I fell into recruitment in. I think it was like September or October 2004. And um, that was it. Game changer. I knew I knew, and as soon as I got offered the job, I knew in my heart to heart I was going to I was going to go on to do quite well in this industry. I knew that. Um, and that, that was the that was the foundations of uh, where where I am now, really. Yeah. Well, you obviously found your found your place there because. I guess over you know over the journey, Samuel Knight, you've had phenomenal business growth since it was established in 2014, and and have a strong focus on marketing now in the company. Um, did you always have a dedicated marketing business, um, and and how has this played a part in the years that you have had that? Um, no, we didn't. We didn't have a marketing function for probably three years, and then it was a mentor over the years of Samuel Knight. I've had a lot of mentors around me. Some of them still mentor me today, and um, it was uh, it was a chap called Ben Brett who um, started speaking about like strengthening the brand um, and really like what what the the story that we had needed to be told, but also building the brand and and building the values of his business, but getting that message out there as well in the right way because at the time. What I'd had is I just had a sh I just had a load of salespeople and sales and marketing. Yes, they're quite similar and they, they, they both add value to the business, but 
Sales is about here and now going open up a door, talking to a client to try and find a solution. Marketing is about us. It's about, you know, us sending out the message of who we are, what we do, and um, and putting the right content out there. And um, Ben Brett really, um, he really pushed that onto me and we brought in a, a um, the first gra- the first marketing function that we had was a uh, great guy um, who added loads of value and he started changing like the, the look and the feel of Samuel Knight and then um, he left um, and then we brought in Laura who's now global marketing manager and the, the brand is completely different I mean it's it's her brand you know I look at what she's created on that brand um, and, and even the feedback from my network is unbelievable. Like people genuinely say you, you, what you've done with the brand, what you stand for from an outsider's point of view, it looks fantastic. Um, and and I, I, I mean, it took time to get to that point because you don't want to spend money um, when you're a startup on, on, different things because all you're thinking about is controlling your cash but then when you start making cash you think right well you know how do i make more how how do we build and grow the business to be better um and i think marketing what i've learned about marketing in these last two years three years adds value to any business yeah yeah and i think for me the relationship between a ceo and your head of marketing or your cmo role is is a really crucial one um you know have to be completely aligned on the mission and the purpose, the direction of the business, how you're going to communicate that to the world. And in my experience, it can be a really tough role to fill and to get right because you're looking for somebody who's both strategic and tactical and possibly even a little bit entrepreneurial along the way. Um, and so you've had Laura as global uh, global head of marketing for Samuel for the last two to three years. Um, and I remember this well because we talked about it a couple of times about what makes a good senior marketer and what impact they can have on the business. When you hired Laura, what were you looking for in in, a, in that global marketing manager role and how did you know she had it? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know what I was looking for, if I'm honest. I wanted to um, – I needed someone who could have autonomy in the business to help put my vision – on to, to, for it to become real, if that makes sense. So it wasn't like I had a checklist because it was only the second person that I'd hired in marketing. Um, it wasn't like I had a checklist to say, these are the things that I need, these are the things that I want. It was more along the lines of, um, I know what I want the business to feel like, I know what I want people to see, and this is my vision. Uh, I need you to make it become real and you've got complete autonomy to do that. You've got a budget, you've got complete autonomy. Um, I want you to own the brand. And I think that ownership that we gave to Laura was um, was probably the reason why the brand is so strong now because it's hers. It, it, yes, it's Samuel Knight's brand, but it's her brand, if you know what I mean. Um, and because it's she's got that sense of ownership on it, um, and it's really helped scale the look and the feel of what I wanted as the CEO. That's what I wanted. Um, so, yeah, we didn't, it wasn't like I knew what I was after. It was just I knew what I wanted and Laura created that. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So it's no secret that you guys are a company with lots of awards under your belt. What is the importance of awards for your business and which are you most proud of? 
So awards are nice, okay? Every business likes to win awards, but they're not the be all and end all, if I'm honest, because it's, it's nice to get some recognition from the industry. It's nice to people to see like what you're doing, but I think it's more about the self reward of you as an individual, the management team, where we have that, we don't need a shiny object to say that we're doing a good job. It could just be sitting across a boardroom looking at your MD and having, you know, and having a little smile with him because he knows that you know that you've done well. Um, or you get that sense of reward from, or the sense of recognition from doing something really good for a client. Um, so I would say it's nice to have awards. It's nice to be recognized. But for me, the most important reward is seeing the business do really well and seeing my management team get that self-reward and for us to be together and, like I say, not, not with a shiny object, but just a, you just know, like it's, it's a really difficult to explain, but it's like a sense of reward as a team because you're doing good. And, and, and we all know that. Like we all sit in a boardroom there's five of us, there's seven of us in, on the board, but we sit in a boardroom and me and the two MDs have got a really, really good relationship and it's just, I'll see a little smirk from one to the other or a high five or a little wink to me and, and that's that's a nice feeling, you know, that's a really nice feeling. So that's probably, that's probably um, they're the rewards that I, I think for. And I guess you've always been a team who love to celebrate success. I mean, I've been there when you've won some of these awards. I've been there when, you know, you guys have always liked a good drink. You have been touchy-feely. It's been lots of hugging and shaking. And how have you managed that through lockdown? Absolutely awful. We've not, honestly, like, I think I nearly gave our operations manager flipping anxiety from touching and feeling. But the, the guys are touchy-feely. You know, they have a lot of love for each other. Um, it's been difficult. Sometimes we forget that we're in this pandemic and, you know, you go forgive someone a hug and then it's like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? But we know, I mean, look, we're, we're following the right precautions. Everyone has the temperature taken every day. We're still touchy feely. Uh, we still love, you know, we love celebrating success. Of course we do at the end, end of the month, we all get together and we celebrate the month's achievements. Um, so we've adapted to it. Um, as best we can, but there's still a lot of love there. There's always going to be a lot of love in Samuel Knight. You just can't help it. Everybody loves everybody in Samuel Knight. <laughs> okay, so you signed on a new office at the beginning of the year and um, a huge refurb project went underway. So the building is looking absolutely fantastic now. Um, how do you think this will impact your team's work and life? And now that we're all adjusting to this kind of work from home situation, is the office still as important? Is it still as relevant as it was pre-COVID? I've got to say yes, because my CFO will probably listen to this, but it costs us a lot of money that often. But now, now we've had lockdown and now we've done, uh, and now we've done working from home. Um, it's, it's each to their own. Um, I think it's important to come together and work as a team and you know we've got a great office we've got a great location and yes we've had amazing we've had an amazing fit out but it doesn't make it a home it's the people inside it that make it a home so um i mean it's it, again it's it's been such a strange year have we really had the ability to use this space like we wanted 
probably not know because what we wanted to do was use it as a community for our clients and our candidates as well to be able to come and experience the location the the office that we've created and we've not managed to do that yet because obviously as you know we moved into the office in lockdown it wasn't like lockdowns coming we were right in the middle of lockdown i think we moved in in you know the end of end of april early uh end of may it was i mean that, yeah it was like june time we moved into the office so we were literally right in the middle of a pandemic we're moving into this office so we've only had six months of the office and we haven't really managed to use it what it was created for but you know we've had the odd night in there um and um the office the office is a you know it's just it's it's a great feeling it's everyone's proud of what we've created and it's nice to give them that's that that kind of something back where they're proud to come into the office but um i think next year will be a lot better we'll be able to use it a lot better next year when this uh, when this pandemic this is off yeah good okay so just moving on to um continuous learning now so i guess for me uh, continuous learning has always been a big part of my story and i'm always looking for the next opportunity to challenge my brain or stretch myself as a leader and you and i met um during some continuous professional development i guess when we were on those forum scale up program a few years back now um what role has cpd played in your journey to date and how important is it for you to develop yourself oh massively i i'm i'm a big advocate of um self-development i mean you know i'm constantly telling the guys to you know look at different ways of being able to improve themselves i, I i'm a great believer in to grow the business you've got to grow yourself um and um so yeah i mean my, my self-development over the last 12 months signed up for a photographer course is that going to help with business no but it's still self-developing um christ knows how many books i've i've read over this year um i've learned a lot about different parts of businesses learned about um obviously pandemics and how to navigate through them and how to manage cash really really tightly and so yeah, no, I'm a great believer in self-development is really, really important. Um, you know, I, I get invited to do different courses all the time and I think it's really important, not just me, but the management team as well, always keeping your eye open for um, for continuous learning because I, I'm a great believer in if you stop learning, then how can you elevate yourself to that next level? Because you only know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, completely. That's that's absolutely it. And in business, you know, there's you can never know everything. You know, you can never even know half of everything. So there's always something new that's thrown at you. It's just preparing yourself, I guess, in the best way you possibly can. I know you went through a management buyout around the same time as I did, and I'm not sure if you even know this, but you were the person that first planted the seed that I might need to consider an MBO. I don't know if you remember, but I came for a coffee with you. I remember having a conversation, yeah. Yeah, I came for a coffee with you after the scale up finished and I'd hit a bit of a crossroads in the business and we went for a cuppa and I was telling you all about my situation and and you said to me with some conviction actually, you are headed for a buyout and I'm not sure if you can remember my reaction but I was mortified at the time and said it would never never happen and lo and behold a year later there I was. So what was that experience like for you and have you got any advice that you'd give to others who are going to go through an MBO? Um, what was the experience like? It was learning, that's for sure. It was very learning. It was very testing. Um, it was enjoyable. I mean, it was something new. So, um, if you've never, if you've never 
done something and then you're going through that situation, raising funds and refinancing your business. And um, yeah, it's, it, is, it was an enjoyable process. It was challenging, though. It was really, really challenging. It depends on who you're doing a buyout with. You know, you've got different motivations for why people want to do a buyout. Um, ours was to give the guys more more skin in the game, the, two, the people who are really involved working in the business, give them more skin in the game. Um, so I would, my advice would be be patient. Um, communication is key. Be patient and believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself and you believe in what you're doing, then it shouldn't stop you from doing an MBO. Um, that's that's my, my, my advice would be that. It's nerve-wracking because obviously, as we were talking about before, either raising debt or putting money in yourself to do the MBOs or raising institutional investments, it's a lot. You know, you're putting you're putting a lot of faith in you and the team around you to be able to service debt or your money going into a company to try and push your business forward to that next level. Um so believe in yourself, believe in what you're doing, be patient, make sure you're communicating with the uh, the other person. Um, don't get stung by legal people as well. If it's a really, really straightforward process, you don't need to be paying tens of thousands of pounds on legal fees. So, yeah, it just depends. If you've got a complicated, um, if, you, if you're doing an MBO with someone who's very complicated, then it's going to be a complicated MBO. But if you both want the same things and you're both on the same page and you is it communicating properly, then um, then it'll be fine. Brilliant. Well, we both survived it, so uh, can't be all, all that bad, can it? <laughs> so just wrapping up, Steve, what does the future hold for Samuel Knight? Well, my aspirations are to build a billion-pound company, but we're only six years in, so what does the future hold? We have a great business. We have a great product. As clients value what we do, we've launched obviously in the US and the US is going quite well. It's still early days. We've created a new management team over there. Got an MD, got a VP, contracts director and a commercial director. So what we've created in the the UK, we're now creating in the US. And then once we've done the US, then maybe we'll look at other regions around the world. But um, it's going to take time. I think one thing that I've learned about Samuel Knight is, and, and, and the drive for this was never... Um, was never money. It was, you know, because a recruiter, trust me, a recruiter makes a lot more money in business than a CEO does if you own your own company because you ain't getting paid commission. You're just getting paid whatever you can afford to pay yourself. So it wasn't money. It was to be able to build a brand of real scale that myself could be proud of in, you know, 50, 60 years and ultimately my team could be proud of as well. Um, so the future for me, one of the things I've learned is patience is key you've got to be patient nothing's going to happen overnight if you try and rush things it'll break i've done it i've been there um i would probably say next year short-term objective next year is to get the usa in a better position um start looking at the rail function over in the us because our us business is only doing energy at the minute so start really scaling the us get a bit more consistency in the UK through energy and the rail. Um, obviously, this COVID situation has not helped much in the UK. Um, but 
I still I still believe that we've got something special in Samuel now. I believe that from the day that we opened the doors on March the 14th, 2014. And I still believe that, you know, fast forward six and a half years later. Um, I think the medium term, long term, it'll be another event in two years' time where we'll probably exit our institutional investor. And then ultimately, Samuel Knight will be owned by Samuel Knight. And um, I want to, I always had this vision of creating a company where every single staff member had some sort of ownership in the company because I think that really gives you, that really believes in what I've been saying from day one about, you know, this is us. It's not me. It's not I. It's us. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Could have another pandemic next year. Who knows? I've got no doubt we'll be sitting here in a couple of years' time, maybe not a couple, but five, ten, and you'll have hit that billion-dollar mark, no doubt about it. So, well, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. The motivation there, the uh, the knowledge, not so sure, but you know, we surround ourselves with good people. We've got some exciting things happening in uh, 2021, um, especially in Q1. So, I'll keep you informed. We'll see what happens next year. Watch this space. Well, Steve, honestly, it's been an absolute hoot as always. Always wonderful what people attract to, full of drive and positivity and enthusiasm. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. And we'll hopefully catch up soon for a real drink if you're back on the Sounds good. <laughs> All right. That's great. Well, that's it for this episode. If you've enjoyed this, please do share with your friends, your network, rate us and do subscribe so we can keep you updated with future episodes. Until then, take care.